0: I'm Lisa Sove. I'm co-founder of Synecdoche Design, a practice in Ann Arbor and Detroit that I started with my partner, Adam Smith, in undergrad. We've grown to six employees. We've completed over 100 projects in the 10 years since we started prior to graduation in 2009.
1: Hey, this is finding your venture episode number 18. Sometimes we're the last ones to see and appreciate our own growth and potential. And this is true for a lot of students who are in the process of becoming adults. Transitioning into the professional world is strange when you've been a kid your whole life, but the work you've put into school and jobs and learning hasn't been for nothing, you know, more than you give yourself credit for. And if you choose to start a business at this point in your life, there are going to be people who will pay you for your talent in our class. We force everybody to do customer discovery, and a lot of people ask, why would anyone talk to me about this stuff when I'm just a student? And my answer is, you're not just a student. You're a smart, curious person who's interested in making something better. You understand technology in ways that don't come as naturally for older generations. Of course, some people are gonna to be too busy to engage with you, but for some people, you might be exactly what they're looking for. So our story in this episode is from Lisa Sovey. Lisa and her partner, Adam, started an architecture design firm while they were still at the University of Michigan. We're gonna start by hearing the somewhat messy story about how they got started. What was that first project like and how did they make the transition from thinking about themselves as students to business owners?
0: My partner, Adam and I, we were working in class on design projects, You know, coming up on graduation, knowing we were going to grad school in the fall and just kind of looking for what next project we wanted to work on. We found a ad on Craigslist for an interior design project. So they were, there was a graphic design office that got a small space in Adapted House on Jefferson in Detroit. The Craigslist ad said 200 square foot office, you know, graphic design. It sounded fun. We responded to it. It was basically a bedroom. It was super small. The budget was $1,000. But we said, let's go for it. And so we started that, I think we applied to the email in March. And so we were finishing up finals, senior year, final projects, presentations and things. And then at night and on the weekends, we were trying to get materials. The Russell Industrial Center, big uh, artist kind of warehouse, friend had a studio there. So we were building out of that space uh, for the project with such a small budget. We just knew we had to make it ourselves. And so that was our first project. And even to get funds, right, for the client to give us money, they wrote us a check to this made up business name that we told them we were, Synecdoche. And then we tried to go cash the check, and the bank said, Your name isn't Synecdoche. You need an account with that name on it. So we had to go to Lansing and file for an LLC. So that's really how we formalized Synecdoche pretty rapidly. A quick Google search. Found out that there's just a one-page form for an LLC. Filed it. We really wanted it that day. Called the filing office in Lansing. They said if you calm down, you can, you know, get an expedited fee for like a hundred dollars, and we'll give you your EIN, your employee identification number that day to go over a bank account. So that's what we did. We drove, you know, 45 minutes to Lansing and filed that. Cashed the check, bought materials, and built the project.
1: So there they go, off to the races, Adam and Lisa. There was a lot they didn't know. But one interesting thing is that there were actually some advantages to being a student versus being someone in a startup that's not a student.
0: Our senior design studio professor was really supportive of us and a lot of the collaborations and projects that we were working on. When we kind of reached out and said, hey, we got this project. How do we do this? He was very supportive and actually gave us an example architecture contract that he used uh, in an office that he used to work at with caveats of, you guys aren't architects. Try to protect yourself. This is a small project. It is kind of low risk. Here's a contract. And just kind of providing some transparency to the profession that really wasn't taught in the classroom, and nobody was really asking at the undergraduate level. So that was a really great baseline. And I think it was actually a sweet spot that as students, we were less of a threat to kind of ask for those kind of professional resources than if we were starting the business kind of later, right? Having experience in an office, being licensed and saying, hey, we're starting an office. Can you guys share your contracts with us? Other architects would be much more defensive and say, no, figure it out yourself. So being a student, we actually were able to tap into more resources, I think easier because our threat level was lower.
1: Something I really love about Adam and Lisa's story is that they went out and got customers first. But that's a really intimidating thing to do. And a lot of times it's hard to know where to start. So, where do they start?
0: Craigslist in 2009, I think, was really still a safe space (laughs) and a, a very common space. You know, we now have Facebook Marketplace and just like other social exchange places for sale, but Craigslist was it. And so, we knew that like looking on Craigslist, Hiring for gigs and things like that was an opportunity and I just started scrolling through to find this call for an interior design project. That was the only project we ever really found on Craigslist as an architecture project, but we did find after that a lot of photography gigs. And so even when we were just kind of bootstrapping and trying to figure out, okay, how do we work on competitions and things and just pay ourselves? We photographed weddings. We did headshots, like, you know, $50 for headshots on Craigslist sort of thing. And we would just do that. Photography was an easy tangential gig because we were already photographing models and photographing architecture and doing site studies. So we knew how to use a camera. We knew about proportion, you know, and scale and framing and those sorts of things just from being in design school. And so it was always just kind of taking small bites. Independent gigs gave us at least the confidence to then figure out, okay, well, once we get the gig, how do we set up a meeting? How do we have professional correspondence? How do we set up a brand or a website? And so it was just like every single little project in that first few months Really, kind of said, okay, this project, with this project, we will do this for the business. And so that first project, it required that sort of mindset at every step.
1: You can really hear how much they were hustling in the early days and the mindset that it took to go find gigs and make money for the business. But who are these customers? And why are they willing to not only talk to, but actually hire students? Well, you're gonna hear from one of them right now. I was telling one of my friends, Evan, Lisa's story and about their transition from students to entrepreneurs, and he actually hired Lisa and Adam to take pictures at his wedding. It's an incredible story. The wedding pictures are amazing, but I said, why did you think that it was okay to hire students to do this really important thing for you?
2: We were living in Chicago at the time, and we were coming back to Ann Arbor for our wedding. It was in between first and second year of business school, so we were pretty broke and trying to figure out kind of how to organize our wedding at my parents' house. It was a pretty uh, non-traditional wedding. It was really small. It was in a barn that was not created to have weddings. We sought out kind of a small wedding photographer in Ann Arbor. And we actually searched for a Craigslist, which at the time was like how you found stuff, which yeah. is hilarious to think now. But we searched for uh, wedding photographers on Craigslist and found all these People who look super traditional and super old school, super expensive, and had all this like fancy stuff, and then we found a handful of people, including Lisa and Adam, who came off as just super genuine, young, artistic, hungry, and cheap, and which which doesn't hurt when when you're you know trying to do it on a shoestring. I went to architecture school, and so I noticed right away that they they were it, at University of Michigan's architecture program, and so my thinking immediately was like these guys are going to be not only kind of young and hungry and interesting, but have a great sense for the pictures and for the style and the themes that we wanted and the the vibe of the wedding. And like this was all before we even met them. This was literally just
1: off Craigslist. So there was no reason for Lisa and Adam to hide that they were students or pretend to be something they weren't. Being students wasn't a negative for them.
2: I mean, I picked them specifically because they were students, specifically because they were architecture students. Honestly, probably 99% of the reason that I picked it was they were students. They were architecture students. The posting had, I don't remember exactly what it linked to, but it linked to like some pictures of their architecture projects. And so like you could tell they just had that authentic artistic uh, ability and you knew they were going to do an awesome job, whatever it ended up being, it was going to be awesome. You didn't know what that was going to be necessarily, but I picked them specifically because they were students.
1: But what about all the business stuff? Didn't they kind of seem unprofessional because they were not really used to dealing with people in the real world? You know, a lot of times it feels like you could mess it up because you're new at it.
2: No, they were great. I mean, it was, look, you could tell they were busy students. Like it it wasn't super buttoned up, but Lisa sent a contract. I remember this actually. I sent you the contract earlier today because I thought it was so interesting. I looked way back in my email and found it. It was a one-page contract There was no BS. It was super simple, really clear what was included and what wasn't included. And the contract was actually awesome relative to anything I've seen since. Jumping to the end of the story, they completely like blew our socks off. I'm looking at the album with you right now and the pictures are lights out. Like I couldn't have imagined anyone doing a better job for 10 times the money or 10 times the complexity.
1: You know, he's biased about those pictures, but I'm not. And they really are beautiful. So there you go, student entrepreneurs hustling to find a job, doing good work, funding the business. But let's circle back for a little bit on the business itself. How did Lisa and Adam find each other as co-founders and know that they wanted to work together?
0: There's something really nice about being young and naive. (laughs) Um, Adam and I are, are married now. We were we were dating when we started. We're a pretty balanced couple in terms of. I think I run kind of fast and ambitious, and big ideas. And then Adam knows how to distill those ideas down and just heads down, get get them actually out the door. And so I think we had a really great balance of working together that I would kind of come up with something crazy, like, let's go get a project. (laughs) Like, why get jobs when we can just go find a project? And then Adam would, you know, totally support it and say, yes, let's do that. Okay, we need to go get a shop, find some shop space, and borrow some tools and get material and find a truck and just figure out the details, and make the things happen. And so, it, it was like through all those competitions, like architecture school is nonstop, twenty four seven. It's a it's a rough culture that the expectation is that you're there till three in the morning working on projects, and so you spend a lot of time with people. You understand who's kind of really. Dedicated to doing the work versus who's there till 3 a.m. because they feel like they should be. And then those that just don't, you know, the work ethic. And I think that was a big thing that we both really aligned of like getting the work done, prioritizing the quality of it. And the time didn't really matter. Sometimes we did spend till 3 a.m., but other times it was like, okay, and this is just fun for us. And so I think that, that sort of experience doing so many projects together in school, like it wasn't just having one class together, but even like in that competition class, we did four projects together, which allowed, you know, it's like each project, you go through different struggles and negotiations with somebody. And so to have gone through a lot of those and be like, oh, we really have settled into roles. We understand who does what in a way that, we felt comfortable that there wasn't like a friction of us stepping on each other's toes. We really knew what we were both contributing when we started. What I try to even tell myself now, what like when we started is like work like you have nothing to lose because then we really had nothing to lose. We didn't have jobs to lose. We didn't have money to lose. We had student loans. I don't know what we would have gotten sued for. We didn't have any, you know, so Like, we really had nothing to lose to really just put something out there and risk it.
1: Okay, in this last section, we're going to hear a great mental model that Lisa has for de-risking the emotional investment you're making into a startup as a student.
0: There's stats that I will get wrong, but something, right, like most entrepreneurs, you know, start after the age of 40, right? Because you have experience and then you just kind of know and can launch things. But I love the idea of false starts, that they're not failures that starting something doesn't mean you have to be committed to it. So you can start a project or a prototype, launch something, and if it fails, you're going to learn a lot from that as well. But for us, we started in 2009, but then we went to grad school. Then we worked for our thesis advisors for two years. Then I was teaching. And so it was really only over the past five years of this kind of 11-year journey that we've been full-time working for Key, having employees and all that stuff. So I count those first six years as false starts. You've got to know yourself and know kind of what your threshold is for saying, okay, that was a good attempt. I'm going to go pivot. And that's okay too. But for us, it was, our benchmark was just a project a year. And as long as we were doing that, that was our success benchmark. And that was okay. And so the false starts Really, we're just, we did a project and it didn't turn into another one right away. But within the next year, we turned and networked and found another opportunity to did another project. And so I think that's where we didn't count anything as as a failure or a flop. We don't kind of recognize that Synecty wasn't like a real office until we were working there full time. But it's okay to have side gigs. It's okay for your, your side gig to be what you want your full-time thing to be and vice versa. I always said that even when i was teaching and working and all those things like synecdoche was my main thing even if it didn't generate a a paycheck that was the thing and there there were supporting roles and gigs to make that happen
1: lisa thanks for coming on and sharing your story about making that transition from student to entrepreneur hearing a story like this goes a long way toward demystifying startups for students So if you see opportunities out there in the business world, don't avoid it just because you're a student and you feel like people don't wanna hear from you. Finding Your Venture is a class and podcast developed in partnership with the University of Michigan Center for Entrepreneurship and Academic Innovation. We've got eight more episodes in season two, and I wanna say thank you very much for listening.